Uh, g'day, growth group leaders. Um, we're looking today at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I've actually included 16 uh, to chapter 6, verse 2 in it. Just sneaking a couple more verses back in there. I'm uh, going to power through this. So question one is, uh, what are some of the most dramatic changes that have occurred in world history over the past 200 years? And who have they been good for? And who have they been good for? Just getting people thinking about where there's been big shift and change, or other technology development, um, could be political change. Um, just thinking about yeah, where there's change, and who's it actually been good for? Um, who's been benefited by these changes, if there is any benefit at all? Um, the reason for this is just getting people to think about the biggest change that ever happens, um, and that is people who go from being out of relationship with God, into relationship, um, that is by far the greatest change that has ever happened, um, even greater than anything in the last 200 years. Uh, so when you then encourage to read the whole section, so 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 6, 2, and just then looking in verse 18, question 2 says, what is the all this Paul is referring to? Because uh, in 5, um, 5.18 he would say, all this is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So what's the all this that's been given? Uh, here Paul is seeking to summarise verses 16 and 17, uh, that Christians now are a new creation. Uh, we are people of the resurrection and we have received the new covenant. All this um, has been given by God and it's in Christ. Um, question three uh, Paul states it's because of his reconciliation with God through Christ. Like I said, he's received all this. Good on you, mate. You're just repeating yourself. Uh, five more times Paul speaks of reconciliation in this passage. Why is he so passionate about the resurrection? Um, sorry, why is he so passionate about reconciliation? Uh, Paul's passionate, uh, I think, in this passage about the ministry of reconciliation because it is something... God has given him um, in verse 18 and 19. It's a ministry and a message that God has given him, um, not just because God has given it to him, but what it accomplishes. People are brought back into relationship with God, but God has given him that ministry um, and his passion as well because God is the initiator, even though he's the offended party. God is always the one who is the prime mover um, and initiator of this act of reconciliation, um, so why, why could you? How could you not be passionate about it? Uh, question four is: Why do you and your neighbour actually need to be reconciled to God anyway? Because to be reconciled means there's obviously a breakdown there, or a um, you're at war. You, you know, you're not getting on. Um, there's offended parties. Well, why do you need to be reconciled anyway? Perhaps there's people in your growth group that have never thought about the fact that they need to be reconciled to God. Um, you might pick up the language of uh, verse 21, uh, that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, uh, that it is our, what's our sin that separates us and cuts us off from God. Uh, we're not passive or neutral uh, when we're outside of Christ, but a default nature and position is actually, I think the Bible speaks pretty confrontingly about this, is as enemies of God. Um, a passage like Ephesians 2, 1-3 just makes that clear as day. 
Um, and Mark 7 talk is where Jesus talks about what flows out of the heart. Um, it's not great. Um, so if people are confronted by that idea, encourage them to hold on there to enjoy the, the beautiful breeze that blows through um, the rest of the passage talking about well, what God does um, despite um, our sin. Uh, so then looking at verse 20, um, what would be the result of someone rejecting Paul's ministry? In verse 20 it says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Well, if someone was to reject Paul's ministry and, and his message, uh, they're actually rejecting God. Um, well, that's pretty full on. Um, and to reject God's message could not end well. Paul has been made an ambassador of Christ. So when you reject him, you're rejecting God. That's not going to end well. Um, and why might people have been rejecting, um, why might people in his day reject his message? Sorry, I'm up to question six. Sorry about that. Yeah, question six. Why might people in his day reject his message? Uh, well, in, in 1 8 and uh, chapter 1, sorry, uh, verse 8 and 18 to 20, uh, we see that Paul is weak, uh, that he's had hardship. Uh, that um, perhaps people are saying, well, Jesus, all God's promises aren't fulfilled in Jesus, so don't just hold on to him, there needs to be more. Um, and in chapter, um, well, I think that's meant to be 14.6. Um, just going to pause it for a sec. Oops, sorry, that's actually chapter 11, uh, verses 4 to 6. It's again where Paul talks about um, these teachers coming and talking about preaching another Jesus, um, these super apostles, um, and about Paul's speech. So people were rejecting, it seems, because he comes in weakness and um, he's saying it's all about Jesus. They're saying, yeah, Jesus plus, or yeah, a bit more, a bit more to go on there. Um, but yeah, Jesus is not quite sufficient. That's the vibe going on. Um, not a good thing to do. Uh, why might people reject Paul's message today? Um, yeah, good question. I don't know what people will come up with. Why might they? They might not like the fact that he speaks strongly about our identity um, in Christ and what we would deny ourselves, whether that's our sexuality, um, uh, our, our ethic. Um, but if he rejects his response or his call of what it looks like to follow Jesus, we, you're not actually responding to Christ's ambassador. Um, there is a response um, to the message of Jesus which looks like something in our lives. Um, people might also reject him. I've got a relative that just doesn't like Paul, um, doesn't like what he has to say, um, thinks um, he adds too much. Well, I think my relative's wrong. I think Paul is our, um, so he's our apostle and he helps us understand the wonder of who Jesus is. Um, yeah, like no other. Uh, what two things are accomplished? This is ooh, question eight. What two things are accomplished in verse 21 and when? So the two things that are accomplished in uh, chapter 5 verse 21 is, is that God made him, made Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us. So Jesus is our substitute. He's the one who becomes sin for us. He takes on our sin. It's a very personal kind of way to speak about it. He takes on our sin. Um, but he also, the other thing that happens is so that we might become the righteousness of God. Whilst Jesus takes on our sin, becomes our substitute, we also then, because of 
well, his death and resurrection, we're then given his righteousness. We become the righteousness of God. It's a wonderful thing that happens. Um, and when does it happen? Well, it is in his death, chapter 5, verse 14. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. Um, just pointing back to the cross there. Verse 9, sorry, question 9. Do you usually default to understanding Christ's work in only one aspect? And what is affected if we do? Just getting people to think about, do we only ever think about um, our sin and the cross, you know, removing um, the debt of our sin? Um, do we not often think about the fact that, no, we've been, we're clothed, we're covered in Christ's righteousness. Um, in Christ, uh, we are the righteousness of God. That's a wonderful thing. I just wonder what the outcome of that is for people um, as they live their life following Jesus. Um, do we just focus um, on our sin and the wonderful truth that Jesus has paid for it, but also what he has given us as well, his righteousness? Um, yeah, I just wonder what's affected if we do. I think perhaps we lose a wonderful privilege of confidence and awe um, yeah, being Christ, God's righteousness in Christ. Um, last question, question 10. How might you best understand Paul's desired outcome? From chapter 6, verse 1 to 2. Well, I'm still working exactly what he's saying here, but the, the guts is um, don't stray from the gospel message that Paul has. Um, don't receive God's grace in vain. Corinthians, you've heard the clear message of Jesus. Don't go looking for another Jesus or Jesus plus or anything else. Just hold on to Jesus because the day of God's salvation has come. Um, it's a day of God's favour. So hold on to the gospel message as Paul has preached it. Um, stay faithful to the message of Jesus' reconciling work um, and his messenger, the Apostle Paul. And descends with a prayer there uh, that we would be praying for our community, that they would know uh, the message, the one who brings reconciliation. So I'm wrapping up. I'm after 10 minutes. I hope it goes all right. We'll be praying for all the growth groups. And um, if you've got questions before the day or the night you do it, just punch me an email or give me a call. Cheers.